Welcome to a special bonus episode of Bitches Love Sports. I'm Bitch 2, and in the days leading up to the interview I'm about to share with you, I was super excited because it was an opportunity to talk to an expert about some of the topics we've spoken about recently regarding motivation versus discipline, team culture, and the importance of accountability for athletes. Now, I'm speaking in the past tense, not because it wasn't a great interview. It totally was. But, well, have you ever heard the phrase, if something can go wrong, it will? Also known as Murphy's Law? Well, my entire week last week felt like a giant case study of Murphy's Law. And one of the things that went wrong was that portions of my conversation with mindset coach Nii Shobo didn't get recorded. But knowing me, I felt like if this had happened with someone else's interview and I told him about what happened, he would have said something along the lines of, okay, technical difficulty, shit happens. We're talking a lot about what went wrong here, but I also hear that there's almost an hour long interview recorded. If you can't do something with an hour of dialogue, it sounds like the interview would have been trash regardless or something like that. He would have said something like that. Anyway, for all the athletes that listen to this show, And really anyone who is aggressively pursuing any goal, there is a lot of wisdom in here that I think y'all will appreciate. So I took what was recorded and I'm putting it together um, in a conversational way that I think will get all the major points across. So let's get into it. When I got off the sideline, my coach screamed at me, Coach Payton, great coach. He lit up into me. He really, really let me know how he felt about me and my mistake. And he cut pretty deep. I had never had a coach talk to me like that before. And I remember going into halftime. It was just before halftime, going into halftime, and I was struggling, (laughs) I was struggling. Like, I did not really rebound very well from that in that game. So let's analyze that situation, right? The event was the coach yelling at me. So one could say that was what caused me to then, you know, feel the fear and, you know, this and this and that and feel all those feelings, right? But was it really that? Or were my my feelings caused by my beliefs? What I felt was true. So what I felt was true when he was yelling at me. And again, this is not happening consciously. This is all happening underneath the surface, but it's happening quickly because these things are triggered. Is that I'm feeling, number one, that I'm not good enough off top. I don't belong here. I'm feeling like I don't belong here. I just made a really, really tough or horrible mistake And I must not belong here. So that was a clip from How to Conquer Your Fear of Others' Opinions, which is the title of the most recent episode of the Sports Motivation Podcast hosted by Nii Shobo. So everybody welcome Nii to the show. (laughs) Nii is a former running back for the New Orleans Saints of the NFL and currently hosts the Sports Motivation Podcast and Get Your Mind Right Podcast, both under the I'm Not You brand, which he owns. And he works as a mindset coach pretty much for people all over the world, right? Exactly. Yeah. All over the world, athletes, high performers, uh, entrepreneurs, all people who are highly competitive and desire to dominate at a high level. Yeah. So anytime y'all ever heard me refer to my mindset coach on the podcast, this is who I'm referring to. This is the guy. 
So, Nee, before we hop into the sports-related topics, I have to ask, when you decided to go into mindset coaching, did you think that you would get the diverse group of clients that you've ended up with? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, when I first started off, I was focused really, before I even launched the podcast, I was focused on young, uh, well, really football players, but young athletes, right? And really showing them how to apply a different mindset and a different approach to their sport. Uh, And then over time, as it evolved, you know, my emphasis was certainly just on athletes. And that was that was who I thought I was going to attract, whether it be, you know, football players, basketball players, et cetera. Uh, And what I found is that through time, you know, I just started attracting more and more different types of people who all had a certain thing in common. They were all highly competitive. So some of these people played sports at one point or another, but it wasn't that they were all looking to dominate the sport. It was that they were looking to apply this dominant sports mentality towards their life, their business, parenting, even, uh, you know, different types of sports. So I have a ton of different type of athletes that I work with, even athletes who play sports I've never played before from roller derby to Muay Thai to uh, football players, basketball players, uh, a lot of soccer players for whatever reason, soccer players value mindset at a high level. Uh, my wife was just asking me the other day, like, why isn't there, why do you think you haven't worked with more football players? And it's like, man, we dumb, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Get hit in the head too much. Like soccer players are smarter for some reason. They understand like the need to strategize and the importance of mentality. So um, definitely didn't anticipate uh, the diverse group of people that I would be working with, but uh, certainly very grateful. And I have a blast uh, getting to know all these different people and finding out different ways to help them. Yeah, I think with football, there's like some some cultural aspects there. But um, the the diversity has been surprising. So for anybody listening, when you work with me, you get access to uh, these regular calls where we're all on Zoom um, to talk about a certain topic. And being on one of those calls is literally like being in a UN meeting of high achievers, just so many different accents and time zones. Um, and, and it was surprising to me too, the first call I hopped on. So I just think that's phenomenal. The range of people who are just looking to have a more dominant mindset and feel more confident and just be more certain in what they're doing. So now that you know who me is, that'll give you some context for the rest of the conversation. Part of the conversation that wasn't recorded was a conversation on motivation versus discipline. And let's just say, if you remember what I had to say about motivation versus discipline, my thoughts on that are pretty much in alignment with Mee's. Where the recording picks up now is during Mee's response to my question about the importance of accountability being an aspect of team culture. We talked about a statement Jerry Jones made regarding the Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones basically said that he was frustrated that some things that needed to be worked on were held off for the offseason when they actually should have been addressed after the first week of their regular season. So I asked me if he thinks developing a culture of accountability is something that a team should constantly work to improve. And he explained that it's important both for a team and for individual athletes. If you don't have a coach or a team or a good coach or a good team, that creates a culture of accountability. It's up to you to create your own accountability partnerships or alliances, as I call them. Uh, And this is incredibly important. Being able to align with other highly competitive individuals and do so in a very structured way. So, for example, if you and I have an accountability partnership and we say we're going to meet each other on a Zoom link every single morning at 5 a.m. to ensure that we're up, we're just going to meet for five minutes and we're going to answer three questions. What's your number one priority for the day? Uh, or uh, I should say, what is your number one goal for the day? 
What are you going to do in order to reach that goal? At least two or three actions. And what is one thing you're going to do today to stay emotionally engaged and locked in? Let's just, uh, and that's just an example. We just use those three questions. How much more likely am I going to wake up knowing that jazz is going to be there as well, right? So you're engaging positive peer pressure. You're utilizing pressure, which is going to engage you and get you to actually do what needs to be done. And then if you're doing that, along with having systems in place, you're just making it a lot more difficult for yourself, for you to talk yourself out of things. And then, of course, once you do that over a long period of time, you've now developed habits and now it becomes easier. Right. Look at a Tom Brady who 20 plus years in the league and the way that he structures his offseason. He's been doing it for so long. It's not that difficult for him. Now, I'm sure that he comes up against resistance just like you and I. But of course, he has several layers of accountability from the clarity of what needs to be done to the coaches, to the timing to where he lives his environment set up a certain way so there's a lot of layers of accountability uh and i go over this in depth in killer instinct you know this but um ultimately you can't leave it to what and because we all have our own patterns some of us tell it tell ourselves how great we are some of us beat ourselves up so much that we just are just discouraged and we quit there's all sorts of you know little tactics that we have to um to avoid the pain of growth uh so systems and accountability is crucial. The pain of growth. I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that. So do you think that growth always comes with a certain level of pain or discomfort? Absolutely. Uh in my experience at least. Um and I have I have yet to experience any sort of growth results, uh any result worth having like actually like that I was excited about having that didn't come with some level of either sacrifice, uh discomfort uh, physical pain, uh, emotional pain in the form of doubt, insecurity, um, uh, fear. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's kind of like one of those things and not trying to get too deep, but you, you look, it's like what goes up must come down night, day, yin and yang. There's a price to be paid, right? So, uh, you want, for example, if you never invest in a relationship, you never really get to understand what love or real connection looks like, right? But if you also if you invest in relationships, you also have to find out what, you know, uh, frustration is and pain and heartbreak. So it's when you experience those things that you actually understand the value of love. Right. But we don't like to experience the heartbreak. We just want the love. And that's, again, us being lazy and wanting the easy, <laughs> easy route. But it's like you can't have um, the sun out all the time. Like the sun needs to go away for a little bit. There needs to be balance and equilibrium. So. I found that it's helpful and it's still difficult, but it's helpful to remind myself whenever I'm feeling pain, not that the pain itself means I'm growing because that's not necessarily true either. You know, it's a lot of times we put ourselves through pain for no good reason, but it's that this pain could, if I use it correctly, I could use it to grow. So then it becomes my challenge. Sometimes the pain is like, yo, stop doing what you're doing. Do some different shit. Sometimes the pain is, Yo, you're on the right track. Like we know in the gym, you know, we all like as athletes, we like that certain type of soreness. There's a certain type of soreness that we enjoy. It's like, yeah, I'm doing my thing. I'm getting, I'm growing. And then there's also a pain that's like, yo, you need to take it easy for a little bit, right? Or you're doing this wrong, <laughs> you know, like you as a trainer. And I know how much you know about the body. I could probably tell you, oh man, when I'm doing this, I feel pain. You're like, that's probably a sign that you have, you know, wrong the wrong technique. So it's really up to me to be able to use that pain in order to grow. 
Yeah, I like that you mentioned that. And I like that you mentioned Tom Brady a minute ago, because in Man in the Arena, he he mentioned that um, in episode two, which is my favorite episode so far. Um, but he was talking about self-development and the toughness involved in self-development and how it doesn't mean that you have to develop yourself into a tough person, but you have to be tough enough in terms of keeping your routines and kind of like drowning out the noise and like other people's, you know, sometimes their opinions about your routines in right. order to develop properly. And um, it just it just kind of made me think about the transformations that all of us have to go through, whether it's as an athlete or a business person or some other type of performer in order to be good at what we do. Because right. the pain that you just described, I think almost all athletes can relate. But um, a lot of times when star athletes, when they talk about this in interviews, people are surprised. Like, um, I know I read an interview, uh, who was it? Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he was talking about everything that he went through physically, mentally, and emotionally during the finals last year. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> like how did he even survive that, right? <sighs> But when you think about it, there's almost nothing in this world that is like useful in its raw form, right? And when I think right. of humans in their raw form, I think of like our impulses and the way that we respond to our own emotions and things that we want to do as a knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes that just aren't very smart, right? right? But it's just like anything that you think of, whether it's the oil that has to be refined to use as gas or even gold that comes out of the earth has to be washed and refined to varying qualities, plastics, natural gas, whatever, has to be refined in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so that makes me also think of Jerry Jones in a recent interview when he said um, that he's very impatient when it comes to getting what he wants. And mm -hmm. it's like, if you look at Jerry's history, you can kind of see where that impatience might've come into play and how it might've helped or hurt. Right. So, right, right. <laughs> so what advice do you give to a person who's in a place where it's like, okay, I'm an athlete. I want to be a high performer. I know I probably should change something, but I don't even know where to start with figuring out like what I need to do. Ah, uh, what they need to do to get where they want to go and they're and they're impatient. Not even necessarily impatient. They just know that what they have been doing hasn't been working, but right, 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 they right. don't know where what to do next. Ah, uh, yeah. So uh that's a that's a good question. There's a lot of you know different approaches, but let me give you like my general approach. And almost like a checklist, right? It's almost like, okay, first, let's check this. If this is true, let's move on to the next one. The first thing is like for an athlete, and I, it's crazy how many athletes I know, uh, that I work with and that I meet initially, and they shy away from this, including athletes that are playing at a high level, is they're really afraid to like say who they're really trying to become as an athlete. And one of the coolest things that, and the thing that we love about the Tom Brady's and the LeBron James is like, they're not afraid to say that they actually want to be the best in the world and the best to ever do it. Now, I'm not suggesting that every athlete should want to be the best in the world, but certainly if you're going to commit yourself to something and actually endure all of this pain, let's figure out what you're trying to become. Like, so first create a vision for what it is that you're looking to become, identify what that vision is as clearly as humanly possible and make sure you have a clear motivation or driving force behind why that is. And, you know, I, you, we hear this this um, this kind of tagline about know your why. And and I understand is we all want to know our motivation behind something. But the reality is there's lots of motivation. So it's not just one why. And honestly, that quote unquote why can change and does change. And this is a painful part of the reality of uh, pursuing quote unquote greatness is that you have to stay in touch with your motivations because they do change. What motivated you at 22 might not motivate you at 25. 
what motivated Tom Brady to go hard after, you know, championship three certainly wasn't the same as, you know, championship seven or six, et cetera. So making sure you know what your vision is, having clear cut motivations. So if that's true and the athlete is still struggling with what to do next, then it's like, all right, what's the actual skill set required to dominate in your sport? Because again, a lot of times we as athletes or in even in entrepreneurship, we'll like lock into this outcome or this goal and act like once we achieve that, then the movie's over or the game's over. It's like, you know, the game's going to continue. It is just like, you know, Nick Saban, another dominant competitor, uh, coach with Alabama. He's like infamous for they say he will win a championship and he'll be in there recruiting that night. You know, securing, trying to get the next talent because he understands the game don't stop. So instead of just focusing on a goal and try to strategize around a goal, you need to say, okay, what's the skill set I'm looking to develop? And how is it, what's my plan for how to develop that very specific skill set, right? So what I call high performance targets. And it's crazy because when we start digging in deep, we now become like scientists of our sport. It's like we're breaking down a dish. Right. Or as a, if you're cooking something, you need to understand the elements that go into it and then perfect every element. If you look at like a, a perfect burger, what's the elements of it? You got some sort of meat or protein. You got to have a great bun. Right. Condiments. Each condiment has the story behind it. So if you're going to have a world class burger, then you better make sure every single element of that burger is so well done. And so there's a game plan now before every element of that hamburger. So as an athlete, let's say you're a, you know, a, a quarterback, you have to have the ability to read defenses, right? You have to have pocket presence and awareness. You need to have arm strength. You need to have accuracy. Uh, there's all, and there's all these different things. I find typically you have no more than, you know, six to 10 high performance targets. And then each one of those targets, you break down a very specific game plan for how you plan to improve that particular thing. And you come and you have all these ideas. And, and if an athlete has been doing it for any amount of years, you have an idea about what you should be doing. Now, the question becomes, what if you don't know what to do to, um, to get better at that? Do what you know you need to do to get better at that. So a lot of us get stuck with like, uh, you know, analysis paralysis. Well, I don't know how to do this. Well, why don't you just do what you know how to do right now? You know, like and then you could figure out more as you go on. So once you do that, then you organize these actions around these high performance targets into a coherent plan of action on a week to week basis, recurring things that you're doing to master each aspect of your sport every single day, every single week. And you have a picture of what that looks like over a week. And I call that target practice. It's a plan. Right. And what's crazy is you don't have to create the quote unquote perfect plan. You really have to create a plan. And Napoleon Hill talks about this. Napoleon Hill says, look, if you have a shitty plan, but you execute it with intention, that's way better than having a great plan that you execute, you know, weak. So you don't have to have the best plan. But what you do need to do is go hard. And I always think back when I was in high school and um, I loved football and I, I really love football. I wanted to get better. And unfortunately, I or, you know, what I don't want to say, unfortunately, but. I played on a shitty high school team and, you know, like the type of team where the head coach is like the science teacher. You know what I mean? Like and they don't know anything about football. They're just doing their best. And I had no idea what to do, but I love the sport so much. And I had such high levels of motivation. 
I just started making shit up. So I would just do my own drills after practice. And I, I literally, one day I remember I was literally running back and forth just doing zigzags. Because it was like, all right, I know I'm a running back. I need to be able to make cuts. So I was just doing zigzags. And sure enough, I was getting tired and I was, you know, zigzagging. And that is a starting point. Like when I was in college, I was actually the same. When I was a, a freshman at Oregon State, one of the things that I struggled with because I moved from fullback to tailback, they wanted me to play tailback. And I didn't, I wasn't really that good at making those like, you know, foot in the ground cuts, just like, pow, right? And Adrian Peterson was at Oklahoma at that time. And he was my same age. I think he was maybe like one year younger. And I don't know if you remember when Adrian Peterson was at Oklahoma, but this dude was a beast. Like we all knew. I mean, anybody watching was like, yo, this dude is about to be special for a lot of years. We had not seen anyone run with the level of anger and <laughs> just power as this dude was running with. And I remember I was like, oh, shit, look how he makes those cuts. Just stick the foot in the ground. And that was one thing that I needed to work on. So what I do in the summer, I literally created what I call an AP drill. So what I would do is I would just take cones and those little bags and I would just set up obstacles and I would literally just do moves. I would, I would act like I'm running a stretch play to the left and I'll have, stick my foot in the ground there. Boom. Jump cut there. Boom. Spin there. Uh, stiff arm right in the sprint. And it's crazy. I would I just made that shit up. Just common sense. Just baseline awareness. Uh, and then, of course, then that leads to confidence. And then next thing you know, I'm in practice and I'm hitting that move. I'm like, oh, shit, you don't I didn't need some world class, you know, um, running back coach in order to lay that out for me. So a lot of people and, and you know, what's funny now as well is when I was coming up, when we were coming up, YouTube wasn't popping as much like you couldn't go online and just literally Google. You go on YouTube now, you can Google, you can find out exactly what these dudes eat, what the, how they train, drills they run, all of that. So any athlete making the excuse that they don't know what to do to get better is absolutely ridiculous. Like, you know what you need to do in order to be a great athlete. If you don't, then you need to open up a book, you know, talk to your coach. Uh, but all of us know from the baseline. And then we can come up with ideas for what we need to do to improve. And then we just organize those things. Now, that may sound simple how I broke it down. And it is simple, but it is difficult to do. And it's overwhelming. And that's why systems are so important. And not to, you know, uh, shameless plug, if you will, but this is what I teach in Killer Instinct. This is literally <laughs> this is literally why I do what I do, because it's hard. It is hard shit. And it's it's stuff that I wish I'm like, man, if I had my shit organized sophomore in high school, are you kidding me? Like I was out there just running zigzags. Imagine if I have a dialed in, you know, conditioning program, a dialed in strength program, stretching, eating correctly. Shit, we was eating Taco Bell every day for lunch and then, you know, doing track meets. <laughs> I remember literally like eating Taco Bell at least two to three times a week with my friends at lunch. But we didn't know no better. You know what I mean? But now, you know, as humans evolve, the excuses become less and less. Our awareness goes up. So now an athlete can't make that excuse. My son can't make that, that same excuse as me. I'm like, nah, look at all these books right here. I, I'm telling you, like, read Tom Brady's book. He'll show you how he played for 20 plus years. But cats don't want to open up a book, which is a whole nother problem. But <laughs> yeah, and I mean, not only books, but even a lot of the resource resources that are out there, like kind of get ignored. So like yeah. one of the things that I tell people, you know, when whenever they ask about like, you know, what's what's the biggest downfall that I see of clients that I work with? It's kind of what you just described, that they don't even know where they want to start. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's like I always say, like one of the biggest benefits of having a coach, it's kind of like with anything, like how a lot of people will tell business owners, like when they're thinking about getting a business loan, like make sure you know what you want to do with the money first before you just take mm-hmm. out a huge loan. Right. And it's like getting a coach is kind of like that. Like, I don't think I would have done very well with your program had I not known what I wanted to use these systems for. Right, As a matter right, of fact, right. that, there was a time when I wasn't very clear on that and it was like almost impossible to use the systems. Right, and it's the same right. thing when people come to me and they're like, yeah, help me like write a workout program for me. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you trying to achieve? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, I just want to feel better. And I'm just like, yeah, I can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, are you trying to lose weight? Are you not? How much? Are you trying to gain muscle? How much? Like, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we need these. And I think the same thing goes with any sports coach. It's like, okay, what position do you play? What do you need to do to be better at that position? Because, and don't get me wrong, there are some coaches who will pretend like they can just help you with no information and they'll they'll steal your money and keep it moving. Right, right. But in order to like it, if you don't know where you want to start already, it, it doesn't hurt to get started without a coach is basically what I'm trying to say for anybody who's listening. Yeah. So no, um, it, it can actually it can actually benefit you. So by the time you get that coach, you kind of already have what you want and they can kind of pick up from there and tell you how to get it. And I think that's the biggest difference. If you're doing drills by yourself and not getting the results that you want, a coach can look at how you move and tell you why. So in that last clip, at one point, me said, you don't have to have the best plan, but what you do need to do is go hard. And that kind of makes me think of this episode, honestly. (laughs) I don't know if this is the best way to go about handling lost footage, but here we are. (laughs) But it also makes me think of why there's such a correlation between being a good athlete and being a tough and aggressive and intense person. I think it's because when we see that attitude in an athlete, whether it's in a teammate or in someone we admire, it gives us a sense that even when things go wrong and the plan that was in place perhaps begins to fall apart in a sense, that person still has what it takes to get shit done. Even without the best plan, that person is gonna come up with something and they're gonna go hard. And on some level, we know that that attitude is important to achieving success. And that brings us to coaching. With me being a former member of the New Orleans Saints, of course I was gonna find a reason to discuss Sean Payton. I wanna talk a little bit about uh, Sean Payton. So in your, in your podcast, like stories about Sean Payton come up a few times. And what was interesting to me when he retired recently was that like um, just all these people had like these, you know, happy, loving stories about him. Even Jerry Jones had a story from when he was a coordinator for Dallas about him being this fun, loving guy. You see these videos of him being a fun, loving guy. Everybody in the city of New Orleans talking about how much he means to them. And even him, you know, sitting there smiling, talking about how he's going to miss his friends and people he works with in New Orleans. And it seems like a bit of a contrast compared to. Um, the stories that we've heard from your podcast. So first I want to know, like, you know, outside of the context of trying to teach a lesson, like what impact did Sean Payton have on your life? If any, like, what do you think of when you hear that name? No, definitely, man. And and there's a, yeah, the, the, one of the realities of sports, it is the thing that, again, it's, it's unfortunate that the, the media or like, even social media, how it works. We just want to see like the, we, we tend to over romanticize things and not see like the reality. Like when you look at Tom Brady, right. And you hear the stories about Tom Brady, you hear great things, but you know what you also hear when you talk to people who actually played with him is how intense he was. And we don't want, we, we like to think that it was just uh, this kumbaya mentality that leads to, there's a certain aspect of, um, there's a certain dark side that goes into really uh, performing at a high level. 
And one of the things that I loved about Sean Payton, and honestly, it's like in all the people that I've quote unquote followed, meaning any coach, leader, he was the most balanced in his approach of like, and you know that fate when you see him on the sideline, like he has this edge about him where it's like, oh, like you don't want to make this dude mad. But then he also has this other side where he's so genuine and uh, really cares about people. And I don't want to call it a quote unquote soft side, but it's basically it's a balance like you wanted to do well for him and you didn't want to be in his doghouse. But you also were motivated by you were motivated, not it wasn't just pure fear, if that makes sense. So I've always appreciated his balance. Like uh, like when I was a rookie, um, I was one of like, I don't know, 18 like rookie free agents. Right. So uh, you don't expect to be there. I mean, obviously, I expected to be there, but rookie free agents know that like any day like you out of here, you know what I'm saying? So you just trying to be in the league and. You don't really expect to be acknowledged from the head coach and really like, you know, for them to even know who you are. When I was at Oregon State and I won't say the name, although you could Google and find out who the head coach was there when I was there. But the head coach at Oregon State when I was there, he I remember he would walk right past me in the hallway like and not say anything when I said hi to him. I'm like, who who does that? Like, I'm a player on your team. Like, you just didn't even look at me, you know, but. Sean Payton was a dude who actually took time to like talk to you and ask you how you're doing and like genuinely. And when I actually made the team, he allowed me. My son was born on the night uh, of our last preseason game against Miami. And I remember I just had a like a, I had a great game. I was so excited to go back and see my son. It was almost like I didn't even care if I made the team or not. And I balled out. And he told me the next day he was like, he's like, look, I haven't seen the film yet, but I heard you you have a spot on this team. Like, meaning I was hitting people so hard. He's like, I heard you. Uh, you got a spot. We're going to find a spot for you on this team. And he he flew me back. It paid for my flight, flew me back to, uh, to back to Portland so I could be with my son, allowed me to miss, I think, two days of practice, flew me back. Um, and ever since then, he would always check in with me, like, how's mama doing? How's your son doing? All this. And it was, and again, you know, a lot of people just checking boxes and things, but he had a very, very, um, and we've seen the videos of him dancing in the locker room, shit like that. Like, he's like, he's just a coach that you want to do really well for. You don't want him on your ass either. And his preparation, you trust him. You know, when you, you have a coach where you just feel comfortable because you know that we're prepared because you trust their level of intensity. He was someone who, uh, without saying it all the time, you knew what his values were as a coach. And it's crazy because I was thinking about I was reflecting on it. Um, when he did retire, and I was just thinking, I, I watched a little Netflix movie that they have on, on him as well. And like, there's certain things that he valued without saying it all the time. You just knew because of the way that he approached everything, right? From toughness, he valued a certain amount of toughness. And that showed up when we would randomly do live goal line, you know, drills just on a random Thursday when most players or most coaches would would you know want to keep players healthy and try to nah he he like he he was unapologetic about that and then he also had just kind of sporadic um you know kind of cliche leadership things that he would do but they just worked <laughs> you know like you ever been led and been on a team and you kind of see through some of the shit that is like oh they're bringing in donuts for everyone today oh they're trying to you know or team building but he would do shit like that. It actually worked. It was like perfect timing, you know? So 
Uh, I feel like he had a good pulse on his team. Uh, he was a great communicator. I mean, I would think about like the things that he did to kind of quote get us motivated from, you know, we're playing Oakland and he brought in Ronnie Lott to talk to us. And I'm telling you, I, like this was the year that the Saints won the Super Bowl. I was on the team that year. I got released in the middle of the year. And I remember so vividly, we're in the hotel room, Ronnie Lott. And you guys don't know who he is. He's safety for, I think, the Raiders as well as the Niners. Uh, legendary, you know, like one of the toughest dudes ever, like safety. That was just a monster. And um, he was like, yo, he's like, yo, I feel something special in this room. And it was like quiet. He was like, yo, this right here, what y'all got right here? Like, this is for real. And I swear to you, everyone was looking around at each other like, yo, we about to win the fucking Super Bowl this year. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was that early and how much he would talk about that, but he wouldn't overbeat that. There was a heavy emphasis on process, on being prepared. Um, so I know I said a lot there, but he had a huge impact on me um, just in terms of he actually is the type of coach and leader that I want to be. I have a certain edge to me, but I don't want people, you know, I don't want to lead just through fear. I also want to have that soft and compassionate side and be able to connect with people. Uh, and of course, his commitment to excellence and preparing under pressure and his ability to apply pressure to the process in a way that actually led to results. And so uh, I always think about that. He had a huge impact on that for me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they find to fill those shoes because right, I mean, yeah, between him being gone and the Saints being $71 million over the salary cap, we're looking at another really tough season. They might have to call you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> that would be crazy. <laughs> this coach in here who needs some mindset work. He's uh, right, not right. pretty stressed right now. Um, but as far as coaching and leadership goes, like, I agree. Like, that to be able to find that balance is, mm. is something that I myself aspire to. Like, I, I play roller derby right now, and, like, I don't know how much longer I'll be a skater, but it's like I love coaching. But mm. dealing with people in a way – like and you and you can see this in like various industries getting people to change their behavior is mm. literally one of the hardest things to do especially to do right. it in a way where they'll actually like make a, a consistent change and like stick to right. the change and i remember um one of the podcast episodes of yours that i listened to that like really made me change my philosophy around leadership it was the one i can't think of the name of it i think it was like how how to get your teammates to stop slacking or to step their game up i think it was, yeah. i think it was like how to get your teammates to step their game up and i'll put that episode on and i was like yes tell me how to get these lazy people to work harder like they suck like they need right. help what do i need to tell them and then i listened to it and then it's like i think your your ultimate like uh key point there was that it's like if um if teammates need to step their game up that means leadership needs to start with themselves and figure out where like where we have leaders have we as leaders have gone wrong in mm -hmm. helping them to understand what the goal is and getting everybody on the same page and understanding what they need to do. And I remember mm -hmm. like being in the car, listening to it and like being disappointed for a second, like, wait, you mean I need to work on myself? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, this is so unfair, but yeah. it turned out to be true. Like I've, I've had to do a lot of work since then still doing work, just figuring out like, like, okay, how do I connect with people? Like, how do I get them to trust me enough to be honest about what they want, what their goals are? How do I get them to trust me enough to get them to understand that like we might have to take a different approach to something that they've been doing for six years before they transfer to this team, et cetera, et cetera. You know? So on that note, I think like outside of that, when it comes to like things like mindset, motivation, discipline, we often think about it on an individual level. 
But one of the things that Sean Payton talked about in his retirement press conference was he talked about the importance of an entire team being on the same page. So how does a person, whether they have like a title or not, uh, a person who maybe has been doing a lot of personal work on their own mindset and on their own systems and being more disciplined and more consistent, how would you recommend that a person go about like sharing those concepts with their teammates or working to get their team on the same page? Yeah, that's a great question. And there and there's a there's some differences I found in what type of team you're leading, right? There's a difference between like I personally find a lot of parallels between, you know, uh sports teams and even like leading a family. However, there are some differences as well, right? Just like business, family, etc. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing that is true, uh, no matter what team you're leading. And this is actually there's a great book by Bill Parcells. I can't remember the name of it, but if you Google it, you'll find it. And Bill Parcells is actually, I'm pretty sure Sean Payton came from the Bill Parcells coaching tree. And Parcells mm-hmm. was the Cowboys coach as well. And in the first chapter, what he says is the importance of having a philosophy. Meaning, if you're a leader and you don't know what your philosophy is around the sport, the business, whatever, and what your general, and what, what I mean by philosophy, and I know that's a vague word, is where you want to go, your ideas about how to get there, what's most important about how you get there, right? Those are just some basic things, like like what's most important. Like, for example, if you showed me your closet and, like, your wardrobe, you have a philosophy. It's like, yo, like, I want to make sure this, this, and this. I got this, et cetera. Like, everyone has philosophies around things that are important to them. And what Bill Parcells was saying is that coaches who fail, they don't have a clear philosophy, So how could you get someone on board with a philosophy that you don't even know how to articulate and you don't know yourself? Because what we do know is one one of the most important um, elements of any leader is a sense of conviction, a sense of belief in their philosophy. Because what you're doing when you're motivating other people is you're transferring belief. But if I don't believe heavily in something, I can't get you to do that because not only do I not know how to explain it, the feeling is not being transferred. So when you see leaders like Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, whoever, even the coaches who shout a lot, right? It doesn't matter their style. What you do see is a sense of conviction. So any leader needs to identify what their philosophy is, and they need to make sure that the philosophy represents who they are. And that's another mistake that Bill Parcells was saying that coaches make. They just pick pieces from other people's philosophy and do it like this. You have to have self-awareness and know how you want to do shit and be unapologetic about it. That's why when you see a, a you know a Bill Belichick, who's the greatest coach of all time, he has a way of doing things. And yeah, a lot of people have some problems. With, there's even been some players who played with him that go and talk shit later. But he's not losing any sleep over that. It's like, yo, this is how we do shit here. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You can do shit this way. Because there's a lot of ways to do things. Like, there's not one way to win. You look at Phil Jackson in the NBA, he was an entirely different type of coach than a Pat Riley, but Pat Riley had a philosophy. Phil Jackson had a philosophy, and he believed in that philosophy. Uh, So from there, then it becomes a matter of being skilled in how you articulate that philosophy, how you speak about it in a way that actually gets people to want to do it. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. And I find that there's there's a lot of keys around that, but it all starts with you believing in it yourself. And then what I think is even more important than how you say it is what systems you set up to support it, right? There's a great example from Bill Walsh, 
who uh, is also incredible leader, coach of the Niners in the 80s. He has a great book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. So he wasn't someone who was going to go in there and, you know, have the biggest speeches and this and this and that. But he had a philosophy. That's for sure. He had his shit laid out. Thick ass notebook like this. He get it to you the first day, first meeting, slap it on your desk. Blow. Four hour meeting right after that. Imagine some players yawning, whatever. They, get out of here, man. <laughs> like, and because his seriousness is like, we're trying to win a Super Bowl. Obviously, it's a common goal here. We're trying to create a culture of excellence here with the Niners. Here's how we're going to do shit. To the point where he was going to the, the janitors. No, this is how we dress here. I need all of y'all buttoned up. Ties in front. Of, I, uh, everyone, this is what type of ties you're wearing. This is how I want you to answer the phones. So he didn't just talk shit. He was actually going around implementing systems in order to, to basically bathe or like tattoo this philosophy on every aspect of the uh, organization. And again, that's not an event. That's like a process. You know what I'm saying? So, but before you can even engage in that process, and of course, even for coaches, before you even can get a job, you need to have a well-articulated philosophy. And that's one of these things that, and I'm going to go even to the, to the African, I know there's a lot of shit going on around African-American coaches. I find this, I found this to be true, even within the fire department is a lot of times these African-Americans we're we're qualified, but we don't have, not, we haven't been taught on how to articulate this shit and lay it out. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And organize yes. your philosophy. And that's really on us. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and same thing in the fire department, it's like, nah, these guys got the skills, but like, unfortunately, we've never been taught. And these other kids who got their daddies as firefighters and shit, they prepare them. They know exactly how to answer every question. You know what I mean? So having that well-articulated philosophy, making sure it represents who you are. Then when it comes time to speak about it, less speaking, more implementing of systems. Look at every single aspect of that shit. And I don't care what type. And this is, again, uh, you find this a lot in parenting. If you have, a, like, uh, for example, some parents would be like, you know, how do I get my kid to do this? Or, or better yet. How do I get my kid off his phone? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> hold on, you know, you said your kid, right? <laughs> like, how do you? That's a lack of conviction. You know what I mean? Like, so you mean to tell me your kid's conviction about using the phone is bigger than yours about whatever they need to do? So my kids know when when you come home, this is what you got to do, and when you do this, then when this could happen, et cetera, et cetera. Now the hard part, and again, this is the difficult part about leading is that consistency. You know what I mean? And that's why, uh, and being able to reinforce and understanding your job is to reinforce your philosophy and over and over. And that's the difficult part. And that's why great coaches are great coaches. And that's why there's not many great coaches. So, um, so yeah, I know I, I said a lot there, but it really all starts with the philosophy. Yeah. I, and I do think that you're right about the hard part being the, the consistency. I think that's why sometimes it's harder for certain leaders to be more personable because right. it's like when you get real comfortable, like, you know, there are people on my team who are very close to me. We've been teammates for years. Um, and so they'll hear me say certain things that I'll let them know. Don't tell the rest of the team. And it's not because I don't want them to know that I'm like a vulnerable person or that I have doubts. But it's that like I don't know if the what we've like already installed is strong enough for them to be able to withstand the idea that I have doubts. 
So it's like, when that happens, I'm like, I can tell these couple of people, I know they won't trip. I know they'll be okay. Right, right, right. But it's just like, those other people, they might start doubting every fucking thing. Like, every drill I draw up is going to be in question now because I had a bad day. I can't, I can't have that, you know? And so there are some people who know me as like this fun person, very open. And there are certain people who are like, she she doesn't really talk very much. <laughs> I'm just like right. not not to new not to you. You're new here. Sorry. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I know just some of the nuances of, of leadership. I'm glad you brought that up because it's like a lot of these little cliches, like oh, uh, you know, uh, be vulnerable. It's like yeah, sometimes and with and in some ways, in certain you know circumstances, you should, but in some ways you shouldn't. And these are right. They're right wrong, right ways and wrong ways to do it depending on what situation you're in. So uh, definitely depends. Yeah. And I think, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just have to comment about what you said about black coaches, because I've been thinking about that all week with this Brian Flores situation. And just like, I I almost feel like it's being oversimplified, making it about race because it's like, I, I guess just based on the people that I've dealt with, like my dad was a musician. And so it's like, I've had the opportunity to interact with a lot of people through him and the work that he did of uh, varying backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. And so that meant meeting a lot of very like wealthy people and also some people who are maybe lower middle class, right? And one of the things I noticed is just that people, you know, at different tax brackets, let's say, just have a different way of doing things, especially right. if they come from old money, right? right? And so I'm just like looking at this situation and I'm just like, okay, how much of it is actually like, I don't want black head coaches and how much of it is, there's literally only 32 of these jobs in the world. And when we're talking about race, we're also talking about culture. And it, and when they say that these people don't interview well, is it that they're going into these meetings and they're communicating in a way that I'm not used to? The way that they greet me is different. The right, way that they dress right. is different. The words that they use are different. And it's just off. Because, I mean, it's like at the end of the day, when you have these millionaires who can kind of do what they want, they're going to make the decisions that make them the most comfortable, you know? Right, exactly. And I'm not saying that's right by any means. I guess mm-hmm. what I'm really more so trying to get across is that if we actually want to solve the problem, we have to acknowledge what the problem is. Exactly. And if the problem isn't actually racism and it's actually a cultural difference, then, okay, let's figure out how to address that instead of being like, instead of trying to institute these things like the Rooney rule, which isn't working, or this mm-hmm. other thing with the draft picks. I just sounded like right. a terrible idea. Like, we could actually just figure out what the problem is and address it, y'all. Anyway, (laughs) that's a whole nother, yeah, that's a whole nother hour right there. (laughs) Having a philosophy, as me mentioned, is so important, not only in sports, but also in life. For example, going through the pandemic, a lot of people said that they felt lost without their routine. But having a philosophy is one of the things that can help you find your way when things go awry. I remember feeling lost at first when things started to shut down. And one of the questions I had to ask myself in order to get past that lost, frustrated, helpless feeling was, what does my vision require of me today? I had to revisit my own philosophy in order to get out of a rut, examine my priorities through the context of a very changed reality. And I had to figure out what could be done under these new circumstances. So even if you're not a coach, or you don't hold any sort of leadership position, it doesn't hurt to develop a philosophy even just for yourself. So as we wrap up, we're going to revisit this idea of having a philosophy and why philosophical alignment is so important. I I really do hope that the people have been listening have heard some things that will help them as as athletes, as teammates, as coaches, and as leaders. Um, I would say my biggest takeaway from our conversation is just the idea that 
you know, while a lot of the conversations my co-host and I have had about the Cowboys in particular kind of surround the lack of discipline and the lack of accountability that we've seen, it could be something like them not having, um, e- either not having a very strong philosophy or not having a philosophy that aligns with their daily habits, because that's another right. thing. Some other former Cowboys players I've talked to, talked to have talked about how being a, a Dallas Cowboy is very distracting. And they're talking about like all the media obligations and things of that nature. And as you were talking, it just kind of made me think about the fact that like, well, if they're doing all that, are they finding themselves with a lack of time or a lack of energy or maybe even a lack of mental bandwidth to do the extra right, things right, that right. they need to do? You know, and so it just kind of makes me wonder, like, okay, like maybe they do lose a game. And at first they're thinking like, okay, I need to do X, Y, Z. But then before you know it, they're caught up in commercial shoots and radio interviews. Right. And it's like, yes, all those things are great. And they help make Jerry Jones a lot of money. But it's like, Jerry, if what you really want is a Super Bowl, maybe you need to like help your coaches set up a structure that facilitates that and do like less Mm -hmm. interviews, more film watching, like. When Micah Parsons had, um, like, he he was being mentored for a while by uh, Demarcus Ware, and mm-hmm. there was like this interview in USA Today talking about their interactions, you know, and just all the things that Micah was, was as a rookie able to pick up from somebody like Demarcus Ware. But it's like you also don't see Micah doing a lot of interviews and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so maybe like systems that facilitate that a little bit more, like if players aren't doing it themselves, like maybe arrange it a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, just, yeah, just a thought. Um, no, and but- I, I, it's, it's crazy how much I hear even Cowboys and, of course, the owner talk mm-hmm. about Cowboys being America's team. Maybe if there was less emphasis on being America's team and more of an emphasis on winning championships, naturally what you would find is a necessity to protect players' time, energy, etc. There's a reason why, you know, when you look at Bill Belichick, um, even Nick Saban, and I'm not saying everyone has to run their organization the same, but it's like, look, what's the priority here? Like, what's right. the what's and always what we hear with any athlete who wins multiple championships, they have an insane emphasis on winning. I just watched this interview the other day about Kobe Bryant, and it was funny. It was they were talking about when he had his first conversation with uh Dwight Howard. You remember when Dwight Howard went to the Lakers? Mm-hmm. And Kobe Bryant gets on the phone with Dwight Howard and Dwight Howard just asking him questions like, okay, this and this and that. And Kobe hung up the phone. He was like, this ain't going to work because his, the questions he was asking showed Kobe that he's not about winning. Like he asking me about this shit and you know, this and you know, this party and like, nah, you, you need to be concerned only with winning championships uh, and everything else is secondary. And again, that could look differently in Dallas as opposed to New England or whatever, New England or whatever else. But it's like, and this is a, just my outward observation. When I even hear the Dallas players, I've heard Dak Prescott talk about, "Oh, we America's team." Nah, that's that's not nah, that's not what we, what needs to be talked about or even thought about. It needs to be like, what is our process? How is our process set up in order for us to win and win consecutively? Um, so yeah. And that was one of the things that we talked about was just like listening to Dax interviews. We were like, we're so disappointed in the lack of accountability. Um, right. because I don't know if you listened to the one link I sent you, but I was comparing Dak Prescott to Micah Parsons, and I was talking about how we've seen consistency in Micah Parsons' performance. So when he says certain things in an interview, we believe him. But then when Dak made his comment about like, oh, I don't need to do anything differently to adjust to the pressure, we were kind of like 
Well, you might want to, because out of all your press conferences, <laughs> we've never heard you ever explain the inconsistency. So like, we don't know what's happening in the locker room, but it doesn't sound like you're taking any accountability. And if you're not taking accountability, that means you're not doing anything about it. So, right, right. But it's like, people ask the question, how are the Dallas Cowboys the most profitable sports franchise in the world, yet they haven't won a championship since like the 90s? And it's like, right. that's why. That's where their focus is. You can see it. And what they and what they Definitely. produce, you know. Um, so is there anything you want to add before we close out? No, no, that's it. I've really uh enjoyed being on here. This is a very uh I I enjoyed all the different ways and uh sort of angles that we took. This was a very fun conversation, and I think for me, just kind of like the the overall theme in terms of what I'm feeling, even after we've talked is the importance of applying pressure before it's necessary. Uh, life yes. is giving us pressure from all angles. You know, like we can't get away from pressure, whether it's the pressure that Cowboys feel in uh, in Dallas or the pressure that a, a rookie feels, you know, in Seattle or what. there's pressure all over the place. Wherever you go, you're going to feel pressure in your relationships. Uh, you're going to feel that sensation of pain uh, around wanting to get somewhere and being aware that you're not there yet. Uh, it's really about how can we use that to get us to train and prepare at a higher level so that when we're asked to perform, when we're asked to do something at a high level, we're not um, shitting ourselves, you know what I mean? And then afterward, trying to explain ourselves away and making excuses. We've got to take ownership uh, and apply that pressure before it's necessary. Very well said. I definitely appreciate you having you on and everything that you've shared with us. So let people know where they can find you if they want to um, hear more from you after this interview. Definitely. So uh, you can find my podcast, just search uh, Sports Motivation Podcast or Get Your Mind Right Podcast on you know Spotify, Apple, all of that. Uh, so that's one. And then, of course, go to I'm not you.com. So it's a letter I, the letter M-N-O-T-Y-O-U.com. Uh, and if you go backslash K-I, you can find out more about how to work with me and uh, be a part of Killer Instinct, which is a very in-depth process, a system designed for high performers uh, to show them how to very systematically dominate at a high level. So I'm not you.com forward slash KI. Awesome. And if you are listening on Spotify or watching on Spotify, now that we have access to video podcasting, um, these links will be available and clickable in the description. If you are uh, listening on any other platform, just, you know, try to copy and paste. Um, so yeah, thanks again, me. And hopefully we'll do this again at some point. No doubt. No doubt. I know there are sports fans who listen to this podcast, but there are also athletes who listen as well. So I hope this episode provided context for some of my opinions that sports fans may have questions about. And I hope it provided some useful information for athletes who are looking for ways to step their games up. So just remember, go to your favorite podcast platform, search for Sports Motivation Podcast and Get Your Mind Right Podcast. Also, make sure to visit imnotyou.com and visit imnotyou.com slash ki if you're interested in uh, learning more about NEU's systems. Thanks so much for listening to or watching this special bonus episode of Bitches Love Sports. I'm Bitch 2, and I'm out.